Oh, beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. This is the Bhajan Ji Satguru Pyareya Milo Nenu on page 174. I don't realize your doing, but you have united me with God. I am full of bad qualities. I have no good qualities, but you yourself took pity on me. When you took pity on me, grace was showered, and I met the beloved Satguru. Nanak says, I will live only if I get Nam, and my body and mind will blossom. Oh, beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. Bhajan of Guru Arjan Dev on page 174. Tarasarehi jana hai meri Jiyapet 
te curpiare Te guru piare
Next bhajan is Lagao Meri Naya Satguru Par on page 282. Oh, Satguru, take my boat across. I am drowning in the stream of this world. No one else can take me out of it. Bring the drowned boat to the shore. Oh, friend, do not lose your heart. I shall show you both the ends of this world. I will make your attention climb up the stream. In the company of the Shabbat, I'll take you across. Keep the master within your heart. Listen to the melody of Nam within. Again and again the waves erupt and the limitless whirlpools are created. With his grace I have reached Aswandwar. Radhaswami has taken me across. O oh, Satguru, take my boat across. I am drowning in the stream of this world. Bhajan of Swamiji Maharaj on page 282. Lagao Meri Nehiya Sathya Guru Lagao Mary, 
Samadhi when he left his body for the final time 
on August 20th and 21st. Please call Don and Charlotte if you plan on coming. And the next World Religions class will be on September 3rd, Saturday, at 2 p.m. at Sam and Patricia's workspace. This is, as the announcement indicated, Kripal's month, month when he left us. So I'm dedicating this satsang to him. And I wanted to share some of his letters to me which literally made all the difference in my life and are still sources of inspiration and courage for me, which I still need. This first one I want to read is, uh, I think, was in response to the fourth letter that I wrote Master Kripal, but it was his fifth letter to me, dated October 9th, 1961. And this is the point at which I had just come, come back on the path. My son Eric was born on September 28th, just a couple of weeks before this letter. And the period up to his birth, and including his birth, was a period of reawakening for me. When I, I have written in my book how Master pulled me back on the path in the space of one afternoon, and I immediately sat down and wrote him the letter to which this is the reply. But as I've also told many times, a couple of days later, just a couple of days after I mailed the letter, I got a letter from him in the mail. And this was incredible. Uh, two days I mean, usually it took three months or more for the letters to come. Of course, via uh, going across the sea and waiting for a master's reply, and then they would be sent bulk to Washington, and Mr. Connor would mail them out individually. That's the way it used to be done. How could that be? I was totally in awe. And I opened the letter, and I realized right away it wasn't a response to me at all. He, he was just asking me how I was. And this was never, I had never heard of such a thing. And I realized, thinking about it, that it was written precisely at the time when I was being pulled back on the path. Because I had been two, two years away. I published this letter in the October 74 Satsandesh, just a month after Master left. Master left on August 21st. I went over to India right away. I got there in time for the final parts of his cremation fire. It was happening as I arrived, and Reno Serene and I and Carl Riley, I believe, had gone over. We flew together, or we arrived together, and we were invited up on the platform where the fire was burning. And I was there two weeks. It was the most horrible two weeks I ever spent in India, or for that matter, anywhere. And I came back very depressed and downhearted. And I remembered this letter, and I published it in the next issue of Sant Bani. That is to say, the one immediately after 
the September issue, which was uh, devoted to his passing. Oh, this is the same issue in which the first word about Sanchi was also published, by the way. And this is the note I put on it. This beautiful letter has been a constant source of encouragement and consolation since I received it 13 years ago this month. I had written Master in a mood of deep despair over having wasted two years of my life away from him and over the fear of nuclear war, which seemed imminent. Some readers will recall that year of the fallout shelter when we were being encouraged to accept the inevitability of wholesale catastrophe and solid citizens were debating the ethics of shooting their neighbors if they dared to encroach on their shelters. The absurdity of the world and the whole worldly outlook on which I had staked my identity came home to me in an awful rush, and the master pulled me back to him in the space of one afternoon. But confusion, resentment, and despair remained. How could God let things like nuclear wars become so probable? How could he create such a world? Out of such a mood was forged the first honest letter I ever wrote to Master. This was his reply. He says, I am glad to find that you have achieved a stable existence in a small rural town and have learnt the trade of a printer to carry on a smooth life. A settled and peaceful life is a helping factor for the spiritual undertakings. My best wishes are with you all. I am sorry that you had for some long time past neglected your meditations and grown careless in diet and generally lost interest in spiritual things. I am glad that you are again meditating and have taken a turn for your spiritual side. This will stand in your good stead. You should not take things only from physical angle. While one has to perform physical duties, the duties towards one's own self and God are not less important. Is not body more than raiment and life more than the meat? What does it profit a man if he gains the possessions of the whole world and loses one's own soul? The physical life, together with all its possessions and allurements, is subject to decay and disintegration. The precious moments of earth life spent in the holy meditations are superbly best utilized and are a step in the right direction towards one's eventual return to one's true eternal home. Whether by ups and downs of the world or inner yearnings, one is fortunate to tread on this path of deliverance. You have got the sacred books and are at present are reading Nam or Word. What you read in these books is to become a part of your life, and this you will achieve step by step if you are regular and devoted in meditations and develop within from day to day. Man is the noblest of all creation, and the highest ideal in this body is to meet the Lord, and for that purpose he has to know himself first. Self-knowledge precedes God-knowledge. Man has made wonderful progress physically and intellectually, but his spiritual side has been ignored. 
He is gaining control over the forces of nature in the shape of hydrogen bombs, etc., which are threatening the destruction of all mankind. Had he gained self-knowledge before having this control of forces of nature, these very things would have gone to the service of mankind. These weapons are being used for gaining supremacy over the others. Even the darkest clouds have a silver lining somewhere. To err is human. By suffering, one learns a lesson and tries to avoid sin and looks for virtuous life. This threat of destruction will go a long way to change the trend of humanity for the better, to live and let others live too. Providence has his own miraculous ways for guiding the destiny of child humanity. But the fact remains that a living master is a great blessing, and all those coming under his protective care and guidance will pass off unscathed by following his commandments, namely, love God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. If we give more value to a thing than is intrinsically due it, the fear of its loss will be considerably out of proportion to the actual facts. You need not worry about anything. Being under the protective care of the great master power, you are really a blessed soul, having always at your disposal the facility of drawing on that great power. The way how to do it is already with you. If you will just walk one step, he will come down a million of steps to pull you, help you, and guide you at every stage. You have simply to tune your receptivity to the fountainhead. The way to do it is to faithfully obey him and devotedly carry on as enjoined. All action has corresponding reaction. An individual action has an individual reaction. Collectively, people are asked to do ethical actions. This brings up good collective reaction. Reverse of it produces collective bad reaction. Nature has its own way of correcting and fulfilling reactions of individual good and bad action. Likewise, collective reactions are to be fulfilled. One may not be able to truly understand the depth of these things, for his perception and understanding is limited to gauge these depths. Internal ascension into higher regions opens our vision to see things clearly. We should, therefore, strive fully, honestly, faithfully, and diligently to proceed within. Those who are earnest and devoted are crowned with success. Many things become clear, which otherwise, with all the reasoning and intelligence, will be at best hazy and foggy. But to those who are regularly devoted to meditation in the accurate way, their inner development takes them face to face to the radiant form of the Master within, in which God-power appears, who talks to them as we talk outside, 
guides them in all matters. When the time comes for their leaving the physical body, he tells them that they have to go. There is nothing strange in it. It is every day happening. The spiritual aspirants inculcate a sense of aversion for the sensuous pleasures as they have tasted the elixir of Nam within with the grace of the Master. All beauty and glory lies within, and if you will please be lovingly devoted to your holy meditations in an accurate way, as discussed in a copy of Brief Instructions, which I enclose for your guidance, you will find that you will be benefited immensely with his grace. So please be lovingly devoted with deep faith and sacred earnestness. Master power working overhead will be extending all feasible help, grace, and protection. And I want to read a few more letters in connection with that, which are published in my book, The Impact of a Saint. And I, I mentioned in the blurb to the letter I just read that it was in response to the first honest letter I ever wrote him. I, I'm afraid that the first three letters I wrote him, I was trying to impress him. And the complete absurdity of that did not dawn on me until after I had wasted two years and come back to him. And that particular desire left, and thank God. But I won't say never came back. It very seldom came back anyway. But these, the letters I'm going to read, were written to me between the tour of 1963-64, actually between our, my first two trips to India. Judith and I went to India in February-March 1965, and then I went again alone in September, October, November 1969. And these letters were written in between. And I'm going to read what preceded them because the letters make much more sense if you understand what they were coming out of. After we got back from India in 65, the narrative picks up. The years following were formative. The ashram that Kripal Singh had founded on our farm slowly and painfully began to take shape and the local nucleus of initiates just as slowly increased. To manage an ashram was not a task especially congenial to either Judith or me. It was not what either of us would have chosen for a life work. We were, and are, both essentially private people, not at ease with more than one or two persons at a time, and loving regularity and the knowledge that when the day was over we would be alone and free. Well, that wasn't meant to be. The days were never over, and before there was a sizable community at the ashram, there was no one but us to handle visitors who turned up in the middle of the night, seekers who arrived with no notice prepared to stay indefinitely, etc., Gradually, by trial and error, we learned how to cope with the infinite variety of tests and challenges that confront the budding ashram proprietor. We made some horrendous mistakes, certainly. When I think of some of the things I have said and done, absolutely convinced I was right, 
I shudder. But despite the mistakes, the ashram emerged as an entity, and the group of initiates centered around it increased from three in 1963 to about 25 in 1969. Midway through this period, from the fall of 1967 to the spring of 1968, I became terribly depressed. Actually, the depression preceded the fall of 67, as two of the letters I'm going to read, actually, were written before that period. But the year leading up to it was also a very difficult year for me. Nine years after my initiation, I realized that I was not progressing in meditation and had made no appreciable progress in three years. In fact, to a great extent, I had lost whatever I had once gained. By this time, my responsibilities as a representative of the Master had increased, not only because the ashram and the local Sangat were growing, but because I was now authorized to convey the initiation instructions to those persons who had been accepted by the Master. This was a great honor and responsibility. I appreciated the honor, but felt the responsibility very keenly. I was attacked by guilt feelings over being an unworthy representative. I was acutely aware of my failings as a disciple and felt like a stinking hypocrite whenever I held satsang. And every time I failed in keeping any of the commandments, it just added fuel to the fire. I managed to work myself into a neurotic mess and almost threw away, again, everything I had been given. But the love, understanding, and patience of my wife Judith and the Master's letters to me combined into a stronger force working in the other direction. I was very frank and open in my letters to him and did not pretend I was feeling differently than I was. And he responded by writing me letters that I still treasure. Here is a paragraph from his letter of December 2nd, 1966, written before the period of greatest depression, but in response to similar difficulties. You need not dwell much on your personal character or impurities of mind. It amounts to self-pity. You will please appreciate that by watering the seedling at the roots, the plant thrives most and blooms in abundance. The holy nam is the tried panacea for ills of the mind. Although it is a very happy augury to be conscious of one's shortcomings, undue apprehension sometimes breeds morbidity, which hampers inner progress. The conscious contacts of divinity within revolutionizes the thought pattern of the child disciple, and he sees everything in much clearer perception. Slow and steady wins the race. Your job is to be implicitly obedient and humbly dedicated. It is for him to reward you for your efforts. Efforts. Patience is the noblest virtue, but it is the fruit of very long cultivation. Just learn to live in the living present with undivided attention and devotion. You should train your mind in such a manner that when you do anything required of you, 
There is no hurry, compulsion, or resentment from your side. You will find that it will be helpful to you in all spheres of life, including meditations. My love and blessings are always with you. And I comment, this letter has been a constant companion to me over the years, and after Judith succeeded in helping me to change my perspective so that I was open to the Master's words again, it was enormously helpful to me in overcoming my depression. Another similar letter written to me at a time of great trouble and turmoil, which I was compounding by making one mistake after another, was dated March 10th, 1967. And that time of great trouble and turmoil and uh, making one mistake after another, which was probably one of the worst tailspins I ever got into in my life, was what has gone down in history as the snowmobile incident, which I won't go into now, but which brought out, somehow brought out every possible negative impulse within me. And I don't know, when, by the time I got through it, I felt like I was a million years old and I had been driven over by a thousand tanks. But anyway, this letter came. I was in Florida having run away from the ashram with, with Judith and the kids. And this letter came to me in Florida and it included, in addition to the paragraph I'm going to read, it included some specific instructions that did indeed revolutionize my thought pattern and sent us back to New Hampshire within a day. He says, Worry and hurry are the chief causes to dwell on by the mind. If you could just, just eliminate these two by resigning to the divine will and pleasure of the gracious master power working overhead, you will be relieved of the undue strain and stress this, of course, is what I absolutely could not do during that period. I would try to meditate. All I would hear in meditation was the sound of snowmobiles. And it was uh, it was just, I could not get past that. I just could not. Please note it for certain that whatever comes to your count is in your best spiritual interest. This is a famous quote, but please bear in mind that this quote was sent to me at the time of what I considered the worst possible thing that could happen to me, both in terms of the ashram and its future, and in terms of myself and my attachments and my desires and fears. Please note it for certain that whatever comes to your count is in your best spiritual interests, and to become a fit receptacle for the divine grace you have to inculcate a sense of self-abnegation and effacement without involving your mind. The more you are relaxed, reposing, and receptive, the more ineffable bliss and harmony will fall to your lot. Just rise so high in the loving lap of the master power to consider yourself as a child who would relish not my will but thine be done. Your deep gratitude for manifold blessings is good and appreciated. And then the following, dated November 24th, 1967, written in response to one of the most depressing, despairing, bottom-of-the-sewer letters he probably ever received, 
a terrified cry for help on my part. And this was shortly after I began giving the initiation instructions. And I cannot tell you what a powerful effect doing that had on me. And at first it was almost, it seemed almost entirely negative. I was just not able to deal with, with what it involved. And that, in a way, precipitated the depression. So Master says, uh, you need not be skeptic about your restricted inner progress. It appears that you have been prey to undue skepticism on your part, thereby causing your inability to progress more on the holy path. Such like feelings not only hamper inner progress, but create more confusion and retard receptivity. Your job is to be earnestly and honestly devoted to your spiritual practices and leave the results to him. It appears that you have been deluded in your way by the intrusion of these morbid feelings, which has resulted in a setback. You should forget all about the past and be devoted to your meditations with renewed faith, and you can still have it. Lust and anger are human elements. These can be subdued carefully by right living, as discussed in the books and letters from time to time. If you will care to take stock of things, you will find much scope of gratitude, as you have improved considerably in all spheres of your life with the grace of the Master. As regards for your working for the holy cause in the capacity as a representative of the Master, you must know it for certain that the gracious Master Power has his immaculate ways of divine dispensation. He can take work from one and all who offer themselves lovingly. If you will inculcate a keen sense of humility by self-abnegation and effacement, you will enjoy more ineffable bliss and harmony. Humility is the sheet anchor with the dear ones. It is an adoration of the saints who work in this physical plane by keeping their divinity hidden from the public gaze. How safe and sublime it is to work humbly on behalf of the Master by rolling all credit onto him. You are a personal testimony to the sacred truth that when you work for the Master for channeling the divine grace, how graciously you are compensated. The golden principle of attributing all success to the Master power and failure to your own personal weaknesses to be overcome gradually should be followed lovingly. Ego is a human element. It is annihilated very slowly by meditating on the sound current and light principles. Gradually it will dawn upon you that you are simply a doll in the hands of divine powers dancing to his bid. And I, I should mention that there was, in all of these letters, there is a, because uh, when I became so aware of my personal failures, I began, I would somehow doubt the path because I would think, here I am, nine years or whatever, I've been initiated. Why am I not doing better? I mean, surely there's a problem here with what I'm doing. That is why the Master refers to the skeptic doing 
being prey to undue skepticism, etc. Because I knew better, obviously, in my heart of hearts. I knew better than that. But still, I would convey that to him. And not in all of these letters, and in, in ones which were response to even worse things, general points of view anyway, never once did he say, you're a bad guy. You know, you you better shape up. He did not take that attitude at all. For that, I am eternally grateful for him. Anyway, I comment, with the grace of the Master, repeated readings of this letter, renewed applications to meditation, and Judith's loving help ultimately brought me out of my depression. And Master's words quoted above everything is still within you and you can still have it, proved true. And of course, that led up to my trip to India in 1969, when I stayed six weeks, and which really completely changed everything as far as my attitude toward the Master and the path went. All of the years of struggle, the difficulties of starting the ashram, which by that time, when I left in September, August, September 69. The satsang, the local satsang had grown to about 25 people, but people were coming to the ashram all the time. And I, I let people live there, staying, stay as long as they wanted, which Master rebuked me for and told me to not do that while I was there. But the ashram was, there were visitors every weekend. We had satsang every morning and every night, which still happens at St. Pani. And uh, it was a very, very active place. And all through that, I was caught up in all this stuff. And it was like struggle, struggle, struggle. And then there would be grace. Now, the funny thing is that I would, every Sunday I held satsang. And when I would hold satsang, it's like all of that struggle, depression, difficulty, skepticism, whatever, would vanish. And as long as I was holding satsang, sitting there, reading the Master's words, playing the tape, meditating with the others, it was all gone. It would come back afterwards. Guru Nanak told the negative, Sanchi tells the story, Guru Nanak told the negative power, uh, he couldn't come in the satsang and have darshan, but he could sit where the shoes are if he wanted. And therefore, when as people come out of the satsang, he confronts them. It was like that with me. I would leave the satsang and back it would come. But that was a constant. It was like the one single thing that came, that happened, that was a push me in the other direction. But anyway, once I got to India in 69... Everything was transformed. I mean, God knows I still continued to have problems. Lust and anger remained difficulties for a long time. And anger, anyway, still is. And all of that remained. But my attitude was just different. It had to be different. I had seen too much at that point. Master had showed me too much. And I was unable to get back to that negative place. I want to read uh, just a couple of things more. This is also from the book, The Impact of a Saint. This is the question and answer session that Master had, which I quote in its entirety in this book, in 19, 
January 1964, Mr. Khanna's house, in which Master covers so much ground. It's published in Satsandesh and Santmani under the title A Thief in the Form of a Friend, and the tape also exists. This is a question that Master answers, a series of questions and answers from one person. The person I will, I will tell you was Vivian Gordon, who was Ron Gordon's first wife. She attended all the satsangs and was, you know, asked these questions. And then at the time of the initiation day happened, she did not take the initiation. But Ron did, who had been in the background. This was before his accident, of course, before he became a quadriplegic, several years before. And everyone was speculating that Vivian would get initiated and Ron wouldn't. And it happened just the opposite, which was very surprising to a lot of us. Anyway, Vivian did get initiated eventually, but not, not at this time. She was a very intellectual lady, and you can see that. Very beautiful lady, by the way. Master, if before one is initiated, one begins by trying to be honest with oneself, and although you may feel that so far as the rules are concerned, the diet or something, this would be no problem, but within yourself you know that you still do have doubts, would you welcome into initiation one who is quite willing to admit that there is doubt but wants to try? And the Master says, doubt? What sort of doubt? About the theory? Well, I don't know. No, no, you must know. Clarify your doubts. In what way? I suppose for the uninitiated, it's the fear of the unknown or a new experience. No, no, Master says. By the way, he was so loving when he was talking to Vivian. He would lean forward and uh, talk to her one-on-one, even though there was a, a large number of people present, over a hundred people. No, no, my point is, first try to understand the theory. Whatever you cannot understand, let that be clarified. Then take up the way. Full conviction will arise when you see things for your own self, when you are intellectually satisfied that these are the teachings of all masters. Take it up as an experimental measure. Then if you get something... Naturally, you must be convinced. Man cannot be convinced unless he sees things for his own self and he testifies himself. Then, if you are not certain that you are prepared and that you have answered your questions, the Master says, I tell you, I tell you, the man in whose heart this question of the mystery of life has entered is fit. It is God's grace that this question has arisen. That day is the greatest in a man's life in which the question of the mystery of life enters his heart. It cannot be stamped out unless it is solved. That this question has arisen shows that God wants to give you what you hunger for. There is food for the hungry and water for the thirsty. And I tell you, this statement of the Master, which I have referred to and quoted millions of times in my life, seems to me to cover the essence of the path from the point of view of how the initiate stands in relation to the Master, or how anyone stands in relation to the Master and to the ultimate goal. 
more than anything else I know. Because what he's saying is, the end is in the beginning. And this is because the Master is outside of time. He is from coming from the point of view of eternity. And from his point of view, once the question arises, the answer is there. They happen simultaneously. And implicit in the beginning is the end. It's like the trajectory thing. A trajectory takes place in time, but at the same time, once the arrow is loosed, it is going to hit the target, or a bullet is shot. It is going to go where it's shot at. You can't stop it once it's out there, and that's the way it is with the mystery of life. Once it comes into our heart, we are fit. We are ready. The question would not have arisen if we were not ready or fit. Now, sometimes it takes a long time for it to work out. That is true. But that doesn't really alter anything. And I want to conclude this, this not the satsang, I have one more thing I want to read, but from Impact, uh, this is also a long quote from Kripal, or fairly long, which I comments on things we've been discussing in the religions class, which I probably should have read during the class, but it's a very interesting section. And it is also, of course, many scholars, well, as Master says, many modern scholars, more so those with Western modes of thought, have, when first confronted by yoga, tended to dismiss it as no more than an elaborate means of self-hypnotism. Such an attitude is quite unscientific, even though it often parades under the garb of science. It is generally the result of prejudice born of ignorance or a superficial knowledge of the subject. It is natural for us to attempt to relegate to the realm of superstition phenomena with which we are unfamiliar and which defy our habitual ways of thought about life. For to study them, to understand them, to test and accept them would require effort and perseverance of which most of us are incapable. It is not unlikely that some so-called yogins may justify the label of self-hypnotists, but those few who genuinely merit the name of yogins are too humble to court publicity and have nothing about them to suggest the neurotic escapist. They invariably display a remarkably sensitive awareness to life in all its complexity and variety, and this awareness, coupled with their humility, makes all talk of self-delusion quite inapt, irrelevant, and even ridiculous. For to seek the unchanging behind the changing, the real behind the phenomenal, is certainly not to hypnotize oneself. If anything, it displays a spirit of inquiry that is exceptional in its honesty and integrity, that is content with nothing less than the absolute truth, and the kind of renunciation it demands is most difficult to practice. Hence it is that as time passes, as knowledge is gradually undermining ignorance, the former Philistinism is steadily wearing away. The new developments of the physical sciences have had no small share in furthering this process, for by revealing that everything in this physical universe is relative, 
and that matter is not matter per se, but ultimately a form of energy, it has confirmed, at the lower level of the yogic concept at least, the conception of the world inherent in the yogic system, giving it a scientific validity which was earlier doubted. And that is from The Crown of Life, pages 82 and 83, a book which I heartily recommend to everybody for everything. And I do want to conclude with one final reading from Kripal. And this, of course, August is Kripal's month, but we have just passed what used to be a very widely celebrated day on the part of satsangis, namely Sawan Singh's birthday. And I, Judith and I used to take the bus from Tilton, New Hampshire to Washington, D.C., which was no small feat to attend the celebrations that were held in Washington before the ashram was had its own celebrations. Anyway, I was very happy at satsang at John and Kathy White's house a couple of weeks ago, actually on July 27th, Samhain Singh's birthday. John White did indeed dedicate the satsang to Samhain Singh for that, on that occasion. So I want to conclude by reading Master Kripal's message on Samhain Singh's birthday, or for Samhain Singh's birthday, for 1961, in which, again, this is something at one time I had a, a mimeographed or a, a printout version of this posted on my wall in the little house in New Hampshire. This meant so much to me. It's published in the Ambrosial Hour, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's called The Eternal Song, and it begins with two quotes from the Bible, both of which are referred to in the talk, which is why I included them when I published this first in Satsandesh, to make, make it obvious what Master was referring to. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's, of course, from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And then one brief sentence, the kingdom of God is at hand, which is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark and is, in fact, uh, the first preaching that Jesus ever did. And also his master, John the Baptist. So this message is dated July 10th, 1961. Master Kripal says, Dear children of light, I convey my love to you all and speak to you from the core of my heart on the auspicious birth anniversary of my master, Sawan Singh Ji Maharaj. Blessed indeed is the hour when the timeless comes into time, the formless assumes a form, and the wordless becomes the word, and the word puts on the mantle of flesh to dwell amongst us. Verily ye are 
essentially and potentially, the timeless, the formless, and the wordless. The word is in you, and you live in and by the word, though you may for the time being be living on the plane of the senses and unaware of your real identity. A tree is known by the fruit it bears. Lectures, messages, statements, and discourses of any kind, spiritual or otherwise, imparted through utterances or writings, are just idle talk when not acted upon or lived up to. Live up to the divine word, which is the word of words, the manifestation of truth. This word is hearkened by the soul. It is the eternal song which was sung ages ago, and that song produced the phenomena called the universe. When that song is heard, you will have some glimpses of the Lord and the true master. Some will have a little, some more, and some still more. Souls embedded in the master power will be lighted. The more receptive the souls to the master power, the more light they will emit. If you wish to love God truly in the most practical way, it is to love our fellow beings, feel for others in the same way as we feel for our dear ones. Instead of seeing faults in others, we look within ourselves, suffer in the suffering of others, and feel happy in the happiness of others, endure all that comes, cheerfully accepting it as his will, and do not hurt or harm any of his beings. To love God, we must live for God and die for God. I would like to sow the seed of love in your hearts so that the feelings of love are brought about among all the nations, creeds, sects, and castes of the world. All saints preach the same. Love and all things shall be added unto you. Without love there is no peace here or hereafter. Kabir. Those who do not know love cannot know God. Christ. Hear ye all, I tell you the truth. God cannot be approached without love. Guru Gobind Singh. The main purpose of my master was to awaken mankind to the truth taught and preached by all saints who came in the past. His job was to awaken the divinity in every heart and guide each to his or her goal of life. Like the great masters of the past, he drew people of all castes and colors by living example. He awakened humanity to the fundamental, inviolable unity of all life. All mankind is one. The true brotherhood will arise by awakening to the unity already existing in man. Man is an ensouled body. Soul is a conscious entity, a drop of the ocean of all consciousness. Man is the oldest of all. Social bodies were made by man for the attainment of God. My master did not come to establish a new religion. The religion he taught is the knowledge of the self, capital S, and the one behind the many, 
which can be achieved by tapping inside by inversion, by reading the great book of oneself where God is revealed, the book of all books, the Bible of all Bibles, which holds the key to the mystery of life. The way to truth is simple. The way is to know oneself so as to know God. When one is awakened by self-consciousness, his or her outer attachments are shaken off and God floods his or her soul. The only rules that he gave it all, if any, were meditation, pure ethical life, and selfless service. He did not say for you to cease to be a Christian, a Hindu, a Sikh, a Mohammedan, or a Zoroastrian, but to be a true follower of Christ, Lord Krishna, Guru Nanak, Prophet Muhammad, or Zoroaster, that is, to do what they said. He did not ask the skeptical man or woman of today to accept any dogma, but in the spirit of humility to obey the God reverberating in the heart of all. He advised us to look at each other from the level of the soul and not through the garbs of various religions we are wearing and to love all. He did not advocate change of forms, but to look within oneself where all are one. He did say that whatever religion one has, it should transform our life. We should lead an ethical life. He did not bring Eastern or Western thoughts for us to act upon, but helped us to act upon the basic truth that we already have in our religions. He revived the forgotten truth that is eternal. Example is better than precept. The teacher that the age wants is a living example of what all may become. The only teacher that we can accept is one who has experienced God. He must be one who has consciously bridged the gulf between time and eternity and can show others how to do likewise. He enables us to discover ourselves. We get through him a change of heart, and he has the power to transmit grace, kindle love, and bestow contact with the light of God. He is overflowing with the love of God and of all creation, and those who come in contact with him are enkindled with that love, and the God power working through him awakens God in others. Books cannot replace teachers. Unless one meets the teacher in the flesh, one cannot unravel the mystery of self. What a man has done, another can do, of course with proper guidance and help. You have been put on the path, the path that leads you to the divine in you. You have been blessed with a conscious contact with the holy light and harmony the life and soul of all that is, and you can develop your initial experience of the living contact to any length you may. It all depends on you. Where there is a will, there is a way. Strive for it ceaselessly. It is the essence of life and the greatest gift on earth. Rear it up with tender care and loving devotion, lest you may again lose hold of the lifelines in the stormy sea of life. Awake, arise, and stop not till the goal is reached. 
is the time-honored message coming down as it does from eternity, and I repeat it today with all the emphasis at my command. Make hay while the sun shines. The kingdom of God verily is at hand, and the power of God unmistakably beckons you to it. Avail yourself of the golden opportunity that God has given you, for human birth is a rare privilege, and thrice blessed is man. Make the most of it while there is yet time. Let not dissensions creep into your thoughts and corrode your progress in any way. You are one of the fortunate children of invincible light. Live up to that sacred truth. Master power is always with you and will be extending you all love and grace. If we live up to the teachings, it is a panacea for all ills and evils. With fondest love to you all, Kripal Singh. And we have a tape. Yeah, okay. ਉਹ ਸਿਰਫ ਨਾਮ ਹੈ ਜਿਸ ਰੂਪ ਚ ਗੁਰੂ ਨੇ ਤੁਹਾਨੂੰ ਦਿੱਤਾ ਹੈ ਉਹੀ ਤੁਹਾਡੇ ਨਾਲ ਰਹਿਣਾ ਹੈ ਨਾਉ ਲਵਿੰਗਲੀ ਹੀ ਸੇਸ ਥੈਟ ਇਫ ਥੇਰ ਇਜ਼ ਐਨੀਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਵਿਲ ਗੋ ਵਿਥ ਯੂ ਫਰਮ ਥਿਸ ਵਰਲਡ ਥੈਰ ਇਜ਼ ਹੀ ਇਜ਼ ਯਰ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਦਾ ਨਾਮ ਐਂਡ ਹੀ ਵਿਲ ਆਲਵੇਜ਼ ਰਿਮੇਨ ਵਿਥ ਯੂ ਇਨ ਥੈਟ ਫਾਰਮ ਇਨ ਥੈਟ ਵੈਰੀ ਫਾਰਮ who has given you the initiation ahora él nos dice amorosamente que si hay algo que se va a ir con ustedes de este mundo ese es el maestro es el nam es aquel nam que él les dio en el momento de la iniciación gor bin tera aur na koi tar bachan yeh man स्वामी जी महाराज कहंदे गुरु तो बगैर तेरा कोई संगी साथी नहीं ए पक्की तरह वचन दिल दे विच बिठा ले स्वामी जी महाराज सेज दैट देयर इज नो फ्रेंड और कंपेनियन ऑफ योरस एक्सेप्ट फॉर द मास्टर स्वामी जी महाराज नोस दिसे नो एक्जिस्टे निगुन कंपेनियरो ओ निगुन वेरदादेरो अमिगो सिनो एल मास्टरो यू कीप दिस वर्ड इन योर हार्ट विद फर्मनेस कंसर्वन एस्टास पलावरास इन सु कोरासन कोन टोडा डिटरमिनेशन गोर बिन तेरा और न कोई तार बचन यह मन में जागत जाल में फसो न पाई निस दिन रहो पजन में आ प्यार ना कहंदे है ए जेड़ा जगत दा जाल है मेरी माता है बहन है भ्रा है मेरी पत्नी है मेरा पति है ए काल ने जाल बिछाया होया है कहंदे इस तो बचो इनू तोड़ो तुसी की करो सुत्ते जाग दे उठदे बैठदे शब्द दे विच ध्यान रखो गुरु स्वरूप दा ध्यान ਬਣਾਈ ਰੱਖੋ ਨਾਉ ਲਵਿੰਗਲੀ ਹੀ ਸੇਜ਼ ਥੈਟ ਥਿਸ ਸਨੇਅਰ ਔਰ ਥਿਸ ਨੈਟ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਵਰਲਡ ਇਸ ਸਚ ਥੈਟ ਯੂ ਸੇਜ਼ ਥੈਟ ਸ਼ੀ ਇਜ਼ ਮਾਈ ਮਦਰ ਔਰ ਹੀ ਇਜ਼ ਮਾਈ ਫਾਦਰ ਔਰ ਇਜ਼ ਮਾਈ ਬ੍ਰਦਰ ਔਰ ਸਿਸਟਰ ਇਟ ਇਜ਼ ਨਥਿੰਗ ਬਟ 
created by the negative power in which you are trapped. Ahora él nos dice amorosamente que esta es una trampa, es una eh, red que se ha tendido para nosotros, esta red en la que nosotros decimos ella es mi madre, él es mi padre, eh, todas estas son eh, nuestras relaciones. Estas son simplemente una red o una trampa que nos ha puesto el poder el poder negativo. You break this trap and you come out of it. Ustedes deben romper esta trampa y salirse de allí. And keep Manténganse apegados al Shabbat y al Maestro. बेशक कितना मर्जी कर दे भी जोर ला लेन के तू गुरु नु याद कर नहीं जो कीता है ओही अपने आप ही अंदरो फुटफुट के निकली जांदा है इस वास्ते संत कहंदे है तुसी सुत्ते जागदे सिमरन दी तरफ जुड़े रहो कबीर साहिब ने कहया सी सुपने हूं बरड़ाए के जे मुख से निकले राम ताके पक्की पन ही मेरे तन को चाम जद असी सुपने च भी बरड़ाईए ते उदों भी गुरु दा नाम निकले ता जाके असी उस वक्त I have seen many people dying, and even Gurmeel knows this, that the cat always dreams of the mice. He has seen many people die. Gurmeel also knows this, and that the cat always dreams of the rats. Whatever you have thought all during your life, you will have the same things, you will have the same thoughts, even at the time of your death. Aquello en lo que han pensado durante toda su vida, esos mismos pensamientos los tendrán en el momento de la muerte. If the cat is always thinking of the mice, it is not possible for the cat to become a Mahatma at the time of his death. Si el gato ha soñado siempre con los ratones, es imposible para ese gato convertirse en un Mahatma en el momento de su muerte. In the same way, if we have thought the worldly things all during our life, it is not possible for us to remember the Simran or remember the form of the Master. Igualmente, si durante toda nuestra vida hemos pensado en las cosas del mundo, en el momento final no es posible para nosotros recordar únicamente el Simran y pensar en el Maestro. That is why you should always do the Simran all during your life. Only then, at the time of your death, you will remember the form of the master, and you will remember the simran. Por eso es que durante sus vidas, durante toda su vida, deben hacer el simran del maestro, y de esta forma, en el momento final, recordarán el simran y también recordarán la forma del maestro. If you have not remembered the master, if you have not done the simran in your life, at the time of your death, even if your family members make you remember the simran, even if they make you remember the form of the master, you won't be able to do that. Así. Si ustedes no han recordado la forma del maestro, si no han recordado el Simran durante sus vidas, en el momento final, así sus parientes les traten de recordar, recordar el Simran y traten de decirles que se acuerden del maestro, no lo podrán hacer porque no lo han hecho durante su vida. Podrán recordar el Simran y la forma del maestro únicamente si han hecho este Simran durante su vida. Por eso es que los maestros nos dicen que deben hacer el simran todo el tiempo, así estén sentados o parados, estén haciendo lo que estén haciendo, deben realizar o repetir su simran. Inclusive deben estar repitiendo el simran en sus sueños. Kabir Sahib said that he who utters the name of God, even in the state of sleep and in the dream, 
is very fortunate one. Kabir Sahib ha dicho, aquel que dice el nombre de Dios, inclusive en estado de sueño, esta es una persona muy afortunada. May I make the shoes using the skin of my body for the feet of such a person who remembers the Simran even in the state of dream. Pueda yo hacer zapatos para esta persona de mi propia piel, esta persona que recuerda a Dios inclusive en el estado de sueño. जगत जाल में फसो न पाई निस दिन रहो पजन में साध गुरु का कहना मानो रहो उदास जगत में स्वामी जी महाराज कहंदे है की करो साध गुरु दा तुसी कहना मन्नो क्योंकि वो जो कुछ बोलेगा वो थवाडे हित दा बोलेगा स्वामी जी महाराज सेज दैट व्हाट यू शुड डू ओबे द साधु ओबे द मास्टर स्वामी जी महाराज दिसे के देवे नसर ओबेदेसकन अल साधु ओबेदेसकन अल मास्टर बिकॉज़ व्हाटएवर ही सेज इज फॉर योर ओन बेनिफिट क्योंकि कोलकेर कोसा के एल लेस दीगा इज फॉर बेनिफिशियो दी ustedes क्योंकि साध गुरु सानू ए नहीं कहंदे के जो कर्मा दे मुताबिक साडा परिवार बन जांदा है के ए नु छड के जंगला पहाड़ा दे विच छुप जाओ कहन लगे नहीं एना दे विच तुसी परमात्मा दे समझ के रहो के सब ओस दे है आप अपना ख्याल एना दे विच रहंदे होया उस परमात्मा ने जोड़ी रखो गुरु ने जोड़ी रखो द मास्टर्स डू नॉट टेल अस दैट द फैमिली व्हिच वी हैव फॉर्मड अकॉर्डिंग टू द कर्मास वी शुड गिव देम अप एंड गो एंड लिव इन द जंगल्स लॉस मास्टर्स नो नोस डिसन के डेवेमोस अबंडोनार अकेला फैमिलिया के हमोस रिसीविडो डेबिडो अ नोस्ट्रोस कर्मास नो नोस डिसन के अबंडोनेमोस एसा फैमिलिया एंड नोस बायामोस अ विविर अ सेल्वा दे से दैट नो यू हैव टू लिव विद देम एंड यू शुड अंडरस्टैंड देम एज ऑफ गॉड nos dicen no deben vivir con ellos y deben comprender que esas son personas de Dios. Pay off your karmas with them, attend your responsibilities, and at the same time keep your attention towards God. Paguen sus karmas con ellos y cumplan con sus responsabilidades y a la vez deben hacer la devoción de Dios. Maharaj Kripal kende unde te karnu jungle banalo. Master Kripal Singh ji used to say that you should make your home a jungle. El maestro Kripal Singh ji decía hagan de su hogar una selva. साध गुरु का कहना मानो रहो उदास जगत में चल वल छोड़ो और चतुराई गुरु को आके नाम लेके कह लगे छल वाल छो चतराई छो इना छोगे तद ही नाम का रंग चढ़ेगा तद ही गुरु के सची प्रीत जागेगी आफ्टर कमिंग टू द मास्टर एंड गैटिंग द इनिशिएशन फ्रॉम हिम गिव अप दीट गिव अप द्लैवरनेस The shrewdness. Después de ir donde el maestro y después de recibir la iniciación de él, ustedes deben dejar el engaño, deben dejar eh, su astucia y deben dejar eh, esos eh, pensamientos de engañar a los demás. Only if you will give up all these things, the true love for the master will be created. Solo si abandonan estas cosas se creará el verdadero amor por el maestro. And the color of nam will get on you. Y re podrán recibir entonces el color del nam. A closing bhajan. 
is Nahilavna Manas Janam Bahar on page 91. You will not get the spring of the human birth again. After making the promise, you forgot about it. It has become difficult to give the accounts of your deeds. You have forgotten the agreement. Detach your love in the feet of the Master. Finish the practice of being born and dying. Why do you stay away? Open your eyes and see the view. Within you is sitting the beloved Lord. Awake and be conscious. The lost time does not come back to one's hand. Kripal explains to Ajay, board the ship and sail across. You will not get this spring of the human birth again. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 91. <laughs> Nahi labana, Nahi labana, Manasajana mabahara murke, Nahi labana, Veda kareke bulagia cheta. Mushkila hogia tena leka Vera kareke bulagia cheta Mushkila hogia tena leka Bisrakia Nahi labana, manasajana mabahara murake. Nahi labana, nahi labana, manasajana mabahara murake. Nahi labana. Charana vicha prita lagale Chamana marana rita mukale Kura charana vicha prita lagale Chamana marana rita mukale
Human birth again. May God bless us all.